Such a beautiful voice. Mm. Well, here we are, Memorial Weekend, right? The unofficial start of summer. But more importantly, you know, it's a time that we get to remember all those that have served, all those that have served our country and lost their lives. So it's a, 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 a wonderful time of honoring. Uh, it used to be called Decoration Day, you know, back before it became an official holiday. It was Decoration Day and people would go to the cemeteries and they would go and they would place flowers and wreaths and, and decorate the graves of the fallen soldiers. So today we honor all those men and women that have given their lives. So, <sighs> The game of life. What's the name of the game? The game of life. I love your reading too, Denise. Everybody's just right on today with what we're going to be talking about. We're going along in our, uh, our year this year with Awake and Alive, We Thrive. That's our 2019 theme, Awake and Alive, We Thrive. And our May theme, the last week today, is Living with Purpose. Living with Purpose. And uh, today is the game of life, which is also the title of our book for the month. It was Florence Shinshovel's book, The Game of Life. Do you remember playing the game, life game? Do you remember, did you ever play the board game, life, right? Where you get the little cars and, and you go around and you have a choice. You can either go and you can have an education or you can get a career right away. Now, if you choose an education, you get $100,000 in debt. The moment you start. Now, it's a little bit dated because we know it costs more than that, but to go to college when the game was made, you get $100,000, or you can start right off and go on your career, and you can get a payday right away, but you also can't get some of the jobs that are offered because you don't have your degree, right? So you start out that way, and then you go along, and you get to buy a house, and then you get to get insurance for the house, and you get a mortgage for the house, and then you can, um, you have some children along the way, and so on and so forth. And you can buy stocks, and you can buy more insurance, and you can buy protection. And at the end of the game, you get to this place where you get to retirement. I think it's Burns Manor or something is where you retire on the game of life, and you pull your little car in, and and you pay off all your debt with the cash that you've accumulated. You get rid of everything that you um, owe money on. And then you count up the money that you have left. And the, mo the one with the most money wins the game of life, right? That's how you play it, right? Exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. You know, I thought in preparation for the talk today, I would play the game. So I had some of the uh, little people over at my house yesterday. And we all sat down and played the game. And I'll tell you, by the end, I was pooped. It was a lot of work and a lot of things to think about, you know, and also helping these little children as they, they maneuvered the game of life, you know. But what about if we had a game of life where we went through life and we did good? We performed kindnesses for each other. What if we went through a game of life where we did something that had purpose, that we did something that had value? Maybe we just helped one person. Wouldn't that be a great game of life? That would be a wonderful way to play this game of life, I think, you know, to play it. So when we got to the end of our life, we really had something other than this cash, right? To say we've done something. Our life had meaning. We have some purpose. We came here for a reason, right? And we could feel good about what we did in the journey, Right, uh, we have that saying, he who has the most toys wins, right? Sometimes people put that on their license plate, right? But the thing is, you don't get to take the toys with you, right? You can accumulate all that stuff, but when it's time for you to leave this planet, none of that goes with you. 
None of that does. You know, Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he has a wonderful exercise. And I think it's a great exercise for all of us to do at any time in our life, to stop and take a moment. And the exercise is that we imagine ourselves at our own memorial. We imagine ourselves at our uh, ceremony of our celebration of life, and we imagine what the people are saying about us, what we want the people to say about us. Oh, she was kind, she was loving, she was giving, she always helped somebody, those sorts of things. What do we want it? I mean, not many of us, I think, want to say, oh, he had the most toys. I mean, that's really not something I think we want to really be honored for at the end of our life. You know, but then Stephen Covey asks us to imagine our life today. Are we doing today what is going to get us to that place at our celebration of life? Are people are going to be saying about us what it is that we would like for them to say about us? Are they going to be remembering about us what it is that we want them to remember about us? You know, and if we're not doing today what that is, then we get an opportunity to change what it is that we're doing today. Right? We get an opportunity to start doing things differently. Now... We might be telling ourselves excuses about why we can't do those things. But I want to ask you, what if you could? What if you could do those things, right? Now, from what I, we know, we get one chance at this game of life. Now, we might have reincarnation. We, there may not be a reincarnation. We may come back or we may not. We don't really know that for sure. No one does, right? Ernest Holmes said he didn't believe in reincarnation, but a lot of my friends do. That's what Ernest said, right? So we don't know. But let's pretend like this is it. This is the game and this is the time right now. Are we doing what it is that we want to do? Are we living the life that we want to live? In this month's Science of Mind magazine, uh, Mar uh, Margaret Stortz, she writes an article, and the article's called Working with the Law. And in the article, she talks about when she first came to religious science and all the old-timers, of course, she's one of those old-timers now, but she's talking about when all the old-timers would say, the universe always says yes. The universe always says yes. And she'd come into these religious science churches and she'd say, what are they talking about? The universe always says yes. What is the universe saying yes to? Right? What about the people that are having lives that maybe don't look so great? Maybe they're experiencing an illness. Maybe they're experiencing some lack. Is the universe saying yes to that too? She was very confused by it for a while until she came to understand what the old timers were talking about is they were talking about the law of cause and effect. Right? What we think about, we bring about. It is done unto you as you believe. Right? They were talking about that very law. Now, luckily, we know that not every single thought that we think manifests, right? It's the propensity of our, of, our law, of, our, of our thought. It's how often are we thinking that thought? Are we thinking it over and over again? Are we even aware that we're thinking the thought? Right? You may have something that shows up in your life, some conflict, some disharmony, and you'll say, well, Reverend Debbie, I'm not thinking thoughts of disharmony. I'm thinking thoughts of peace, and I'm thinking thoughts of love, and I'm thinking thoughts of good things, but this bad stuff is showing up. Why? You know, why is because there's a thought underneath the thought that we don't even know that we're thinking that's going on. And that is the thought that we're creating in our life. That is the consciousness that we're creating. 
That is the seed that we're planting, even though we might think we're planting something completely different. You know, they say if you want to know what it is that you're thinking, then look around your life and see what's showing up. Because it's not showing up unless there's a belief in it. It is done unto you as you believe. It is done unto you as you believe, which is one of the basic premises of religious science. It really is. We could, you know, distill our teaching down to a couple core concepts, and one of them, it is done unto you as you believe. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, there is one mind common to all individuals. There is one mind common to all individuals. Each one of us is connected to that one mind. Each one of us is an individualized expression of the one. Right? So the mind of God is your mind. The mind of God is my mind. Right? We're not all of God, but God is all that we are. Right? There's nothing in us that is not of God because God is all there is. So how could there be anything else in us? Right? There's not God and something else. You know, we, Ernest Holmes read Emerson, you know, and that was where a lot of his ideas uh, came from, you know, the beginning of his ideas, the beginning of his looking at this thing called life. And so the concept that there's one common mind and that is done to us as we believe are very, very big concepts for religious science. They're two of our very big concepts. You know, in our book this month, The Game of Life, Lawrence Shrivel Shin, written in 1925, you know, we, talk, we talked about it all month, and we talked about the whole idea of living with purpose and uh, moving from that place that it is being done to us, like we're victims, to moving to that place that's being done by us. Right, and we have talked about this a few times before. We've talked about the four kingdoms of consciousness, their ancient Sanskrit teaching that have kind of become modernized by Dr. Michael Beckwith in some of his books. He's brought forward this idea of the four kingdoms or the four kingdoms of consciousness. Marsha Lloyd, uh, Marsha Sutton, and Lloyd Tupper also brought them forward. Lloyd Strom, sorry, not Lloyd Tupper. That's another gentleman. Brought them forth in their teachings. Right, and the four kingdoms of consciousness really quickly again are first of all we come from this place if it's being done to us, right, that we're victim, that it's being done to me, poor me, poor me, right? And then we get a little bit of maybe some exposure to religious science or some to new thought. We listen to Oprah or Wayne Dyer, right, or maybe we watch the movie The Secret and we say, okay, now I got it, right, it's being done by me, right? And we become the power. All of a sudden, we're the thing that's doing it, right? That's the second kingdom of consciousness. And then we realize that something's missing. We realize that we're running on self-will, we realize that there's a missing piece, and the missing piece is God. The missing piece is source. We move into that third kingdom of consciousness where we say, ah, God through me, God through me is expressing, right? And then we can sometimes in some moments be in that fourth kingdom of consciousness where we're absolutely aware that is God as me is doing it. Right, and we don't move to that kingdom and stay there. We don't move to two and stay there. We kind of go back and forth throughout our life. But it's nice when we get to that place that most of the time we're in three. We're knowing that God through me is doing it. So anything that is showing up in my life is a direct result of my thoughts, my actions. There's nobody outside of me that's doing it to me. The book, Florence Schivel's book, is as relevant today as it was in 1925. 
And that's the point that I really want you to take away today. That these teachings, this philosophy, the law of cause and effect, all that was taught early by our early forefathers and foremothers is as relevant today as it was in 1925. It works. I mean, these things work if we work them. If we learn them, if we study them, if we apply them to our life, if we're simply going through life with the thought that, oh, all's great, all's great, all's great, no, we're not really doing it. We've not uncovered that which is keeping us stuck. We've not uncovered those things within us that are keeping us from our good. Because God is not keeping you from your good, I guarantee you. There is no power in this universe that is saying, I don't think you should have it. Right? It's just not the way that it is. It is done unto us as I believe. Now, if I believe that I shouldn't have it, then perhaps uh, that is what is manifesting in my life. Emma Curtis Hopkins, I love her because she just says, there's good for me and I ought to have it. Right? That was Emma. There's good for me and I ought to have it. There's no shoulda, coulda, wouldas. There's no kind of sortas. There's good for me and I ought to have it. And that was Emma. She absolutely believed that. She believed that there was good for her and that she ought to have it. Right? I like to think that. There's good for me and I ought to have it. There's good for you and you ought to have it. I want all of you because if you all have your good, that doesn't mean that there's less good for me. There's enough good for all of us. There's enough of everything for all of us. There's enough of everything. Emma goes on to say that uh, she says it was such conviction, such knowing, knowing that it is her divine inheritance, knowing that as a being here, that that is what is hers. And she claims it, and she knows it. And I ask you to stand with that same sort of conviction, with that same sort of knowing, for knowing it is there. You know, this week I was on vacation last week. I was uh, in Palm Springs, which was beautiful. It was 80 degrees. It was gorgeous. It was peaceful. It was relaxing. And I did a lot of being with God. I just did a lot of communion and a lot of quiet and a lot of reflecting. But I have some minister friends that I, I get on a call with uh, uh, every week, a couple different ones. And I also have one of my uh, favorite practitioners and spiritual teachers lives out in the desert, and I got to spend time with her. You know, and we got to talk about some of these things, and um, we were talking about why is it that these things that we want are manifesting in all of our lives. Like, if this stuff is really true, then why aren't we all billionaires, right? Why not? And she reminded me of a talk from Ernest Holmes, you know, and it's on uh, his radio show. You can get the CDs now of some of the old radio shows. And in one of them, he talks about, and he says that very thing. If this was true, we would all be billionaires. And what Ernest says is the thing is, is that we're not looking at that thought that's underneath. We're not looking at the thought that we hold. Now, for a, mad, for a moment, just imagine that you are going to receive X amount of dollars, right? For each of us, there's a certain amount that we can believe. Like maybe for some of us, it's a couple hundred bucks. For some of us, it's maybe 50 grand. For some of us, it might be a million. You know, if we say we're going to win $20 billion, that's probably a little out of the scope of really our believing that, right? 
Mary Ann Morrissey, or Mary Morrissey, she always says, she, she, she says to choose like double your income. Double your income, because that's believable. That's believable to your brain. Or think that you can make your, uh, uh, your year salary in a month. You know, those kind of parameters, you know, for us to go from making 50,000 to thinking we're making 300 million thousand, you know, or is a 300 million is, is, is a stretch. So Ernest Holmes talks about that same thing. You know, he talks about the fact that we haven't gone in and we haven't cleaned out those old beliefs. And it's really interesting how tricky those old beliefs are. And you can kind of get that knee-jerk reaction when you try to stretch. When you try to stretch and say, I know that this cancer is gone. Right? I know it. I know I'm perfect, whole, and complete. I know I'm a child of God. But the little voice says, oh, but the doctor said it's terminal. Or the doctor said people like me don't recover. Or, you know, those little ideas. And we were raised with those little ideas. We're emerged in those little ideas. We're in that race consciousness that tells us that. So we really need to do our own work to stay in the place that I'm perfect, whole, and complete. Right? It's like, imagine you have a garden and you're wanting to plant something in that garden and the particular garden doesn't grow anything. And you're like, no matter what seed I put in there, it's not growing. Well, have you gone in? Have you turned the soil? Have you added some really good stuff in there? Have you added some mulch and some fertilizers? Have you gotten out all the clay? Maybe it's full of bugs and rodents or something that you need to get out of it that's killing your plants. It's the same thing with the seeds in our thought. We plant that seed. We want to be sure that the, the ground that we're planting that seed in is good, is good soil, is fertile soil. It isn't riddled with those old ideas from childhood or those old ideas from society that are telling us why we can't. Right? We want to be sure that we're standing in that place of absolute knowing. You know, and again, I say this all the time, this is a reason to see a practitioner. This is a reason to do spiritual mind treatment. This is what practitioners are trained in. They're, they're trained in helping you uncover those belief systems that are still operating that we may not be aware of. Or maybe we're aware of them and those darn things just won't go. Right? See a practitioner, get some prayer work. Placing consciousness is where it all begins. It's a song lyric I came across this week that I thought was really great. It said, be careful what you wish for. History starts now. History starts now. Right, our tomorrows are based on our thoughts from today. So it begins today. Be careful what you wish for. History starts now. The thoughts we hold today create our tomorrows. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? The law always says yes. Dr. Barker, by the way, I'm enjoying him more and more. I have really never was exposed, uh, read much of Charles Barker's work until I came here. And uh, I'm loving some of the stuff that I'm reading. But he says this, your only enemy is yourself. And the only thing that can hold you back is your own mind. Your only enemy is yourself. You know, are you fighting the right battle? Are you fighting with the right opponent? The only enemy is yourself, is yourself, you know? You know, we can't blame anyone or anything, you know? The blame game, the blame game ends when we get here into religious science, you know? This game of life, the game of life and how to play it. There's a story of a gentleman, he was a Russian gentleman, and I think his name is pronounced Olga. 
Oga. And he came to America, and he lived in America, and he had a job as a messenger here in America, and he would show up to this uh, place of business in New York City, uh, and it was a woman named Mary and Emma. They worked at the front desk, and he would show up, and he would come every day with their packages and their deliveries, and he would tell the story every day. In Russia, I was a teacher. In Russia, I was a technician. In Russia, I taught computer science. Here, I'm a messenger. Here, I'm a messenger. And every day when he'd come in, he would tell that story, you know, about here in America, he was a messenger, but he was really a computer engineer. And uh, every day they would offer him a soda because it was something that they said that their bosses taught them to do. When somebody came in the office, you offer him a cold drink. It's hot. They're out there working in the city. And he would sit and he would chat with them for a while. So they got to know him a little bit. And uh, one day, Mary was late at the office and the computers were down. And she called her IT guy, and he was out. The only person available was the boss, the, me the, the head of the company, of the IT company they used. And he came out late to the office. And she thanked him so much for coming out. They were a stock exchange company, and of course they needed their computers to be up because you've got to be on it when trades are happening, right? You can't be offline. And the gentleman came out, and his name was Barry. The gentleman was Russian. The gentleman was Russian, and he came out, and he um, stayed late and got the computers up and running, and he said, I'm short-staffed, I don't have enough people to make on these runs, you know, I'm sorry, you had to wait for me to come after hours. And she thanked him and said, I really, really appreciate it, thank you very much. Well, the next day, while she was at work, it's like that thought, that thought came, wait a minute, Olga, Olga needs a job. He's a computer technician, and Barry needs somebody, right? Like, what can I do in this game of life to bring these two together. So she makes a phone call to Barry, and she says, uh, by any chance, do you need some people? And he said, well, yes, yeah, send them my way. Have them call me. So the next time he showed up to do his messenger service, she picked up the phone, and she called Barry, and they spoke together in Russian. And, uh, and uh, he hung up the phone. He said, oh, we're going to meet for, uh, for later. We're going to meet later tonight. But, you know, I'm not sure. You know, he probably doesn't need anybody, so on and so forth. Right? Well, a few days later, she received a phone call from Oga, I think how you say his name, and he said, well, he has hired me. He has hired me. I am no longer messenger. I am computer technician. But, you know, in his way, he said, but now I have to drive all the way to New Jersey, right? So he had something else to complain about. But in that moment of thinking, what kindness can I do? What can I do? I think it's Mother Teresa who said, we may not be able to do a lot for many, but for, for one, we can do much. For one, we can do much. What can we do in this game of life to help somebody? What idea might we have that to inspire someone else, to connect people up? You know, what small kindness can we do as we travel through this life, you know? It's an adventure. And it's a grand adventure if we allow it to be one. Right? It's up to us if we want to believe that this life is a veil of tears and we suffer and struggle. I mean, you can do that if that's what you want to do. Or you can believe that it's an amazing, magical, wonderful, amazing place to be and create that in your life. And create that. You know, but mostly what I want you to know is the principles of science of mind, the principles that Florence Shin talks about, the principles that we study in our classes, the principles that we talk about here on a Sunday, the principles that are taught in many of the books that are in our bookstore, they are relevant.
they are relevant. Not only are they relevant to the level that we see out in social media, or that we see in mainstream, that we see on YouTube, they are relevant that the healings are still happening. The reversals of fortunes are still happening. The things are happening, right? All you need to do is to apply it to your life, to learn it, to use the tools. You know, I encourage you to try it, to try it, to test it. One of my favorite things to do, and you all have heard me say this before, is to prove God, to prove source, to prove spirit in your life, to take these principles into your life and play, play this game of life to win. God bless you. I'm so glad that you're all here today. Glad you're here. Glad to have you. Good. Thank you.